Welcome to the Celtics Pride Podcast on Celtics Blog. I am Adam Motenko. With me, as always, my twin brother, Josh Motenko. That's right. Twin number two in the rank order, but twin number one in everybody's hearts. No, no, nobody's hearts. And our good friend, Mike Minkoff. How's it going, Mike? It's going all right, gentlemen. Uh, you know, just draining takes like Steph and Dame drain threes in the All-Star game. <laughs> From half court. And we have a special guest today from Celtics Blog, Yahoo Sports, Real GM, Keith Smith, NBA on Twitter. Keith Smith, thank you for joining us. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Today, we're going to talk about uh, the midseason evaluation and second half predictions. You all, if you listen, you heard Josh, Mike, and I talk about this last time. We want Keith's take. We want to get into those details. But first, we have to acknowledge there was a four-game win streak here that led us into this break. Josh said a simple four-game win streak will change the perception of fans who think the sky is falling. Mike and Keith, how do you guys feel about this team after this four-game win streak? Yeah, I I think there's a lot of truth in that. I think uh, about a third of the league is in that position where you know a good week and you feel pretty good, a bad week and you feel like it's time to blow it up and trade everybody and in uh, the hearts of Celtics fans, fire a bunch of people too, and uh, you know, ruin lives and everything else because that's just we we got to react to it. Um, but it is that's just you know kind of the nature of the league this year. There's a handful of teams that have set themselves apart at the top of each conference, and everybody else is kind of jammed together. And then there's a couple bad teams. So right now the Celtics are sitting in the middle of that jammed together group. But you know, as I put it uh, in an appearance the other day, you'd much rather be on a four game win streak than a four game losing streak. Yeah, um, I mean, you can't feel you can't feel worse after a four-game losing streak or winning streak, rather. Uh, definitely feel relatively better, but I, I mean, it it's still tempered, right? Like the team's nine-man rotation, even once um, Smart comes back in that in that ninth spot, you either have Shemi Ojale, who's playing certainly better than he's ever played in the past, uh, but he's still limited, or you have your hopes kind of hinging on Romeo Langford uh, being the the no experience needed all star that Josh Josh believes him to be. Um, <laughs> so you know there there are some gaps in the team in the team's roster construction. There's I think some clear limits on how far this team can go. But you know Kemba's been playing phenomenally, possibly the best he's ever played in a Celtics uniform, um, and. Uh, you know, you just kind of hope that this win streak combined with a little bit of rest for some tired looking stars like Tatum and, and Brown uh, combines to to position the seas really well coming into the second half. So, Keith, let me ask you, when coming into the season, what were your expectations for this team? And based on how they've played relative to those expectations, how do you evaluate them so far this year? Yeah, it's interesting. If you had asked me for a position in the standings, I would have probably said around fourth place and that that's where they're sitting. I certainly didn't think they'd be 19 and 17 in fourth place. I thought they'd you'll be a little bit better, but that's just I guess, you know, recalibrating what this season has been. As I said, you know, so many teams are are lumped together there within a few games of 500 on one side or the other that that part I guess doesn't really surprise me now. Um had you told me they'd be 19 and 17 before the season I would have said all right so they'll be in like seventh place but I thought that they might get off to a bit of a slow start that that was my expectation without Kemba being ready to go out of the gate I thought that they were going to be you know, a little rough I, I even at one point I think in our Celtics blog slack said it wouldn't 
completely shock me if this team was like 10 and 10 around the 20 game marker but then i thought they'd get much better from there and they kind of haven't um there's signs of it and i think when they get marcus smart back that's going to help considerably um not just defensively where everybody goes to but i think um you know him coming back will be huge and then his ability as a uh, secondary playmaker and ball handler is huge the offense is really missing that guy um who can do those kind of things right now so that's going to be i think an even bigger impact than the defense because the defense that's that's when the single most disappointing aspect of this entire season for me is they're just not defending at the level we've come come uh, become used to um, from a Brad Stevens team. So that feels a little different than what I perceived from comments you've made on Slack. My sense was that uh, this this team so far was a disappointment, and I don't know if the last four games has has shifted things for you, um, but but there's been some back and forth. Uh, where some of us, myself included, has has viewed this team as, or this this year, as sort of a um, not a rebuilding year, but or, or even a building year, but an evaluative time period to see what do we have. And my sense coming into this season was the off season that Danny Ainge had was not did not clearly state we think we're a championship contender this year. In fact, it stated uh, the opposite that we're not. We don't think we are. We're still building. And if you view this year as an expectation around championship contention, then absolutely so far this is a disappointment. If you view it as an evaluative or or a building year, then I I think it it allows you to feel a lot better about this season. It sounds like you you expected them to play basically as well as they have so far with some better defense. Yeah, better defense and standings-wise. I expected them to be in the same spot. That said, you know, I, I don't, I'm not one of those people who, you know, how a lot of times you'll hear people say, what was your preseason pick for the NBA Finals? And it's like, well, you know, I picked um, Timberwolves and Pistons, and I guess I got to stick with that now. Like, no, you change it because it's stupid. Why would you stay with Timberwolves Pistons when they're both terrible teams? Yeah. Um, so for me, coming into the year, I thought they might start off slow and then really hit, hit, hit their stride about 20 games into the season or so. And then I thought they'd be playing much better than they are. So if I, you know, thought 10 and 10 around the 20 game mark was, you know, even somewhat real of a realistic mark, which I, I don't know if they were exactly that, but they were probably right around that. Um, I thought after that they would go, you know, in the next, uh, you know, 10 games or so, they'd go something like eight and two and really start to create separation. And that's what they have not done is create that separation. I I don't believe that this was seen from Danny Ainge as a, uh, um, like you said, well, what did you say, a value, evaluative year um, or w- yeah. whatever it was, which I think is a great term. Um, but I don't think that's where he was because if it was, why would you sign veterans like Tristan Thompson and Jeff Teague? There's you would have just given that third roster spot or third point guard spot to some, you know, go with a younger developmental prospect, go get a younger big man who might be part of something that could pop for the future. I think he brought those guys in with the idea of, all right, we just need to prop this team up until Kemba gets back and we're really ready to go. And that's where now I think it's, that's why for me, it's been a disappointment because I don't think with Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, as good as they have been, you can now turn around and say, well, you know, it's okay. Cause I thought this year was just, you know, kind of figure it out and play it out kind of year. I think you have to look at it and say, 
if you don't give these guys the weapons, these are the kind of things these guys remember uh, next time it's contract time and you start to worry about that. You know, what what does that do? And I know a lot of people are like, well, Tatum's extension hasn't even kicked in and Brown's still got three more full years after this one left on his contract. That time will go by in the snap of a finger in the NBA. That's just how it works. So... Keith, it, it's so wonderful having you on and hearing you share my viewpoint. That's just delightful. That's why Josh is laughing because <laughs> um, he, he does not share that viewpoint in, entirely. But I, I mean, I was likewise saying uh, I thought the Celtics might start five and ten or six, six and nine to start the year. I think, I think you know, taking this midseason you know, All Star break as a as a opportunity for reflection on the season probably the thing and and I agree with you I thought once Kemba came back they'd kind of hit their stride and and be able to kind of skyrocket and and you know Adam and I preseason anticipated the Celtics would be in fifth place um, slightly different end of season records but fifth fifth place come the end of the season and you know you've got teams like Miami that have underperformed Toronto that's uh, arguably underperformed. Um, uh, that that have helped the Celtics kind of stay in this fourth place spot uh, despite a rocky first stretch, but I think you know if you look at at the first half of the season, the things I personally missed or didn't account for properly were uh, one it took it just took Kemba a lot more time once he came back to regain his current form, and you know frankly knowing now that he's regained this form uh, after what was a pretty painful what first ten or so. Uh, 10 to 15 games um, it's it's really encouraging that he's kind of recovered so effectively from a knee injury that that you know warranted I think a bit of worry um, based on the news reports and the, and the concerns about it being kind of a chronic issue uh, that that risked not being necessarily uh, really manageable to get him back to this level Um the second piece is I don't think anyone could have accounted for a smart missing three weeks and, you know, just how much of an impact that would be with Gordon Hayward no longer on the team. And as you noted, Keith, that secondary playmaker, um, you know, before we had Hayward and smart that could kind of make those extra passes and help move the ball. And with Hayward no longer on the roster and smart out, we really, really, really saw <laughs> how dire that could get quickly. Um so, you know, from that perspective, I can look at 19 and 17 and say, you know, the the offseason had disappointments, obviously, the way things transpired with Hayward. Um, I think, to me, it, it became an evaluative phase of the season once the offseason kind of went the way it did. And there were some misses, it felt like, by the front office and Danny. Um, but I, I agree with you, Keith, that they weren't setting out with the, you know, at the beginning of the offseason, thinking this would be an evaluative year. Um, but they, based on the roster they assembled, they kind of had to take an evaluative approach the first part of the season and see if the Celtics could be, you know, re-elevate themselves into a contender conversation with without Hayward and pending the recovery from Kemba. Yeah, and I'll give you guys a little bit of perspective on on where I had them. Um, when I had to do my preseason picks for Yahoo, I had picked the Celtics to finish fifth in the East at the end of the season, but at 44 and 28. So that would mean they've got to go that was like exactly my record prediction. <laughs> um, you know, 25 and 11 the rest of the way. That 
you know, with the way the first half went, that doesn't feel overly realistic. Nope. And now the good thing is if they do go 25 and 11, they're probably going to finish, you know, somewhere in second or third in the East, just with the way things have kind of gone. So that's, that's where I had them at. Um, you know, so I, it's, that's why I keep saying standings wise, I'm not really disappointed. It's just been the way they've played, how many times they've blown winnable games, how many times they've looked bad against bad teams. Um, those are the things that, that leave me feeling like this team is not living up to everything that they should have. Yeah, so you know, the, the standings wise, I, I hear you saying like, "Yeah, we're only five games out of first place," and I, I feel like when we're judging at the beginning of the season whether this is a championship team or a developmental team, you know, why does it have to be one or the other? I mean, th- we've proven that even in the playoffs, this is a team that can overachieve with younger players. The last four years in a row, I feel like we've proven that, and I feel like. If you're Danny Ainge in the offseason, you're trying to add some vets and maybe you're trying to swing for some for the fences on a couple moves and you don't end up hitting. But you're still got, you know, all the talent that we have here. And with Smart out, with if Kemba keeps playing the way he is, I feel like going in any lead in the playoffs, we can beat any other Eastern Conference team in a, in a playoff series. And so to me, you're, you're both looking at development and evaluation of these guys. And we're even seeing, like for Aaron Neesmith, for example, like we're seeing guys develop throughout the year so that later in the year they're more ready to be considered a playoff contributor. You know, Robert Williams last year, we didn't really think of him like that. This year we're going to be expecting Robert Williams to be a playoff contributor and a part of the rotation. And, and so to me it's like I feel like we're doing both. We're both developing we're, and we're – we have the potential to beat any team in the playoffs and, and win a championship, especially with the way things have kind of evened out across the NBA landscape record wise. Yeah, I guess for me they're I, I think they're now pretty significantly behind both Milwaukee and Brooklyn in the East. I'm still not fully there with Philadelphia. Um, and I think Boston has shown over the years that they can do some stuff against Philly. Um, that they can negate some of Philly's advantages and that they can play them pretty well. Um, so that's my fear there. And then I don't, I know they've, they've played and beaten the Clippers. Um, they've played the Lakers tough in the past. Um, but I just don't know that I, I feel like they're really on that level when it comes down to it. Um, because the Clippers, you know, any, every time they match up, the Clippers seem to be missing key players. And I know Boston wasn't with, with Mark, didn't have Marcus Smart in either game this year, but he's, you know, as much as we all love Marcus Smart, he's not Kawhi or, or Paul George. Um, you know, that's the, you know, sad reality of that one. Um, but that is, you know, that that's where for me is I feel like they could get there. So that that's the thing where I think the point I keep trying to make is we still got a half a season to go and we still get the trade deadline. We don't even know what this roster might look like in a couple of weeks. You know, if it looks a little bit different, then then I get it. I have, you know, completely other you know, thoughts on how they should use the trade exception and how they should, you know, build this roster out or whether it be at the deadline or the soft season and those kind of things. But I think they're in a position where what I don't want to see is I don't want to see them have to try to explain to Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown of, you know, hey, well, you know, I know this year you, you know, we, we lost in the second round or, you know, God forbid in the first round. And, you know, but, you know, Aaron Neesmith got some good minutes and Pey- Peyton Pritchard looks pretty good because I can tell you those guys don't care about that. Those two guys have only known, you know, competing and, you know, making uh, – 
you know, other than that, that stupid Milwaukee fiasco, uh, making, you know, good, uh, you know, playoff runs. And that's, that's what becomes worrisome to me is when you start to feel okay about where you're at there. That's when I start to worry is, you know, we, I've seen too many teams go down that mindset and then they never quite get, get back there and get over that hump. And that, that's a, you know, a real worry that I have with this Boston group. So Keith, let me ask you, how worried do you think fans should be about that? Um, moderately because let's see what happens at the trade deadline you know in in beyond that let's see what happens when you know hopefully they get a you know couple weeks with the bulk of the roster together i'm not counting romeo langford in for anything this year i mean you know you get anything positive out of him that's just a bonus um at this point it's you know putting any kind of hopes on a second year guy who barely played in his first year that's you know that if that's where we're at, then you know might as well wrap Tatum and Brown in bubble wrap, and we'll see you in the fall, because um, that's just not you know that's not realistic to me. But when you get Smart back with Kemba back with Tristan Thompson playing the way he is now, Robert Williams looking pretty good along with Tatum and Brown, I want to see what that group looks like together, and then let's see what Ainge does at the deadline, um, and then I can give you a much better sense of how I feel like the rest of the season may go. Keith, are you saying that it that it's important for the Celtics front office to do something at the deadline to improve this team so that Tatum and Brown feel like they've got a real contender this year? I think there's a level of importance there. I think the bigger importance on doing something at the deadline is it's easier to do it there than it is to do it in the offseason. If you're waiting till the offseason, you just have that much more competition. Right now, because of the existence of the Hayward trade exception, and that's even factoring in having to work around the hard cap and all those other things that you'd have to do to use the entirety of it, you have the ability to do something that almost no other team can match in the league because of the existence of that trade exception. They don't really have to match salary to bring in any realistic trade target um, that makes sense for them. Um, and that is really, really important. In the off season, there's gonna be teams with cap space. There'll be teams with expiring contracts that they're now willing to trade, that they're not willing to trade today. You're gonna to have a lot more competition for the same pool of players. Whereas today, you have uh, very little competition for a wide pool of players because of the existence of the Hayward trade exception that no one else can match in season. I think it's important that you use that to set your roster up long-term for long-term success beyond just this year. I don't want to see them use it on an expiring contract because to me, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. There's nobody that's that good that you can use that on that is going to propel you into being a true championship contender. So I'd rather see them use it on, get somebody who can really help you um, and you have them for the next couple of seasons so you can then use them as a building piece around Tatum, Brown, and whoever else remains after that. But I do think there is an element of it's not i think you want to continually show jason tatum and jalen brown hey we're really about winning here this is not a you know all right well it's just gonna have to be good enough for right now because i can tell you you know brown's the way he's in year five tatum's in year four they're not gonna be you know they're, they're a year or two out from being uh you know mid-career veterans at that point for their you know peak of their career um because most guys you know it's still generally a 10 12 years of you know really good basketball is what you can expect to get out of a very good player so i think what you're looking at with those two is they're not going to be cool to look down the bench and be like well yeah but we've got this developing aaron neesmith guy who's 
behind the two of them for minutes anyway because he plays the same positions. So I think that's where it starts to become a little bit of a of a you know um, false hope that you're trying to sell them. So I want to be in a position where they can look at it and Danny Ainge can look them in the face and say, I am continually trying to upgrade the roster around the two of you because I want to make sure you know we are committed to doing everything we can to win a title. And Keith, let me ask you as a follow-up. When you're assessing the the amount of worry about these two guys leaving, or you know, and and the trends that that is true around the NBA. I mean, you're you're here on the Celtics Pride podcast. How much does Celtics Pride have a factor into, you know, decisions of players, homegrown young players with the Boston Celtics, wanting to become you know icons and legends like former Celtics? I mean, even as recently as Paul Pierce, a homegrown guy, you know, he he withstood all that and was one of the last guys to be on a, a team for the majority of his career. I mean, does that, do you think that matters at all to these two young guys, Brown and Tatum? I think that they will 100% if asked, and I know that they will because they do. They will say it matters. Um, I think when it comes down to it, really, it's it's about money and winning. The money's going to be equal for them anyway, right? Because they're, you know, I mean, Boston will always be able to pay them a little bit more, but it's not enough that, you know, it's going to, change minds we've seen that time and time again with players in the league um so then it becomes about winning and if as much as you know hey i love being a celtic and i want to win as a celtic that will change eventually if that doesn't look like like it's a realistic thing to happen every good player says they want to be where they are and don't want to ever play anywhere else until they look at it and say, all right, I can't win anymore here. I'm ready to go. And that's that's just the way it works. You know, It's really not even just in the NBA. It works that way in, in sports, right? I mean, we just saw Tom Brady left the Patriots because, you know, hey, I've done everything I can do here, and I don't know if we're going to, you know, continue to have this level of success. I want to see what else is out there. And it hits at some point eventually. Now, yeah, if it happens in year whatever it was, you know, 17, 18 for Brady, if that's when it happens with Tatum and Brown, then I would hope that meant they had a long successful winning careers here but i always go back to whenever anybody asks me about this lebron james left his hometown team twice um, because he had better opportunities elsewhere so whenever i think about that you know it's certainly two guys who weren't born in the city of boston have no attachment beyond that's the team that drafted them you know that, that then it you know starts to look like a lot different of a picture Keith, you mentioned the trade deadline and trying to, to get somebody now while there's less competition. Ideally, in your mind, somebody who will be with this team for a little while. Who's at the top of your list that you'd like to see this team get? Yeah, it's not Andre Drummond. Um, I can tell you guys <laughs> that. You guys know how I feel about him. Um, That's because it's impossible. Publicly and privately. Um, but, well, even yeah, if he's bought out, I'm pretty sure he's not on the nope. top of Keith's list. <laughs> he is not. There's not a player. Or any of ours, frankly. So, Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, no, to answer your question seriously, uh, you know, it's going to be a lot of the same guys we always, you know, hear, you know, bandied about. I think Harrison Barnes would be great for this team. I think he really fits a need. Um, I agree with Danny Ainge when he said you need shooting with size. He doesn't want shooters that, that um, aren't going to be able to stay on the court, um, which is, you know, I think the day he said that was the day there were reports that the Celtics were looking at J.J. Redick. Um, and I think that was his uh, very nice way of saying I don't want J.J. Redick because he'll get played off. Off the floor so i think harrison barnes um you guys know i don't 
go in for like the dream targets like Jeremy Grant. That's not going to happen. Um, Nick Vucevic, that's you know very unlikely to happen. Aaron Gordon, slightly more realistic, but that's probably not going to happen. So I think you know Harrison Barnes is, a, is is probably the guy at the top of my list. Uh, the guy who I would be making every play to try and get because I think he fits perfectly would be John Collins from Atlanta. Um, you wouldn't even have to use the Hayward trade exception. I would be throwing whatever the Hawks want at them. I'd take back uh, contracts that they don't really want, even if that meant you know bring home Rajon Rondo and let him finish things out in in Boston or something along those lines. Bring back Chris Dunn, who is um, you know injured, or you know bring him back in a trade, not back to Boston, but back to the New England area, Providence. Yeah. Um, you know, if you brought him back and he's hurt, um, if you wanted to make, make that kind of run at it, I'd be perfectly fine with that um, if that's what it took because I think Collins is that good. Um, but th- those are the kind of guys you're, you're, you're more, I think, realistic. You know, maybe you could get involved on you know, someone like P.J. Tucker if, you know, if and when the Rockets eventually put him on the market. But, yeah, I, I don't think it's going to be the, you know, the, the Jeremy Grant stuff. I know those reports keep coming out that they want him, and that's why I keep telling people that's, that's great. You know, my kid wants ice cream for breakfast. I'm not going to let her have it. You know, I mean, it's just there's certain things we can want that are never going to happen, and that's, you know, just kind of where that one's at. If, if this team stays the same, what do you expect uh, as an outcome at the end of the year? Uh, I think they'll go probably to the second round of the playoffs, be competitive. Um, you know, if they don't make any kind of moves, they'll, they'll have a competitive series with uh, either Brooklyn or Milwaukee and probably probably bow out um, in the second round. That, that would be my guess. I think they're just a little bit off um, what they need to be to one of those teams. If they get Philadelphia, if somehow you know the matchups fall right, um, which they would today um, if the seeding held held firm. Um, I think they could beat them and get back to the Eastern Conference Finals. Um, and then, you know, again, probably competitive. But at that point, that's when it, it would – it's as weird as this sounds, it would almost be better to lose to one of the good teams in the second round than get to the East Finals again and lose. I think people are like, good Lord, are we – you know, we're, we're like the Buffalo Bills, but don't even make it to the to the final game you know you know how, how do we you know get past this point um that's where you know I, I think people would really start to you know panic and wonder is that you know or is this group ever gonna get there and figure that out and when i say this group i mean from Ainge to stevens to to the kind of core of the roster well so building off of that i mean do you think i'm i, I hear what you're saying about getting to the eastern conference finals and not not necessarily turning the corner. I'm not sure I agree that people would feel better about them losing in the second round, though. <laughs> um, I just think it takes I, away that whole mindset that, of, like, are we that, ever going to get there? Yeah, but, I, I mean, I do wonder, like, is is this team, is this core group getting close to the point of, like, if they're not in the finals, um, a season's almost defaulting to a disappointment? Yeah, I think so. And I think that's probably pretty fair. I think a lot of people can look at it and say, well, you know, Hayward's gone, but, you know, did did we, you know, did did we, did he mean that much? Because I think a lot of people are going to look at it as Hayward missed the bulk of last season's playoff run. And they made it that far. I think that's overlooking the fact that Toronto is as much as they'd had a great regular season was not an overly strong, um, you know, higher seeded team than what Boston was. Um, Philadelphia was a mess by the time you know the Celtics swept them out of the playoffs, even without Hayward. And then with Miami, I think your challenge there was 
that's where you needed Hayward, right? You you needed him healthy. And that's where I think, you know, people would convince themselves this team can get there again without Hayward. I think it would just be, you know, all right, well, you know, they only made it as far as that. And then that's where it kind of all comes back to why did Danny Ainge not do more at the trade deadline or whatever it is. Now, if he makes moves to bolster this team and then this team falls and doesn't, let's say they fall in a, uh, a relatively non-competitive um, Eastern Conference Finals. I think that then also becomes a huge disappointment because it's like, man, we really went for it and made moves to try to make it happen, and we still couldn't do it. And I think in, in a lot of ways that's going to set people almost into a panic. Keith, final question. You recently had an exclusive interview with Jason Tatum for Celtics blog. How was your experience with that? Can you tell us, share something about your experience with him that maybe didn't make the article? Yeah, you know, the... This is something I've learned from doing this side of things um, is trying to relate to, you know, I, I'm never going to do anything on a basketball court like Jason Tatum has ever done, you know, and I'll never be anywhere near that. But there are things you can relate to these guys on. And one of the things is right, we're both dads. Um, it was so cool. It was the day after they had just got back from the West Coast trip. So he or not, maybe it wasn't the West Coast trip, but it was a, it was like a three or four game road trip. Um but he was so excited to be home to see Deuce and see his see his mom and see his family and that was that was cool to you know kind of talk about that and you know see that and then um, the other cool thing was that it's so hard in print to get get um, get through the reactions you get from these guys when you ask certain questions and what and I will say that I just said you know there there may be a point where he says all right how much longer do I want to be here but he was so genuine when he talked about. You know, there's nowhere I want to be but Boston. And that was on the heels of, I'd asked him, you know, hey, St. Louis and Bradley Beal, and should St. Louis have a team? And, you know, what, what, is that where you guys would go and team up? And and he started laughing. And he goes, I don't think Celtics fans would like like that very much. And, um, you know, we had a laugh about that. And then, then I asked him, I said, what, you know, what is it about Boston? And when he spoke about, you know, he a lot about the city until he got drafted and now he's like you know being there and the fans and and everything you can tell it does you know it, it is cool to get that reminder it does still mean something to play for the celtics i always you know couch that with that only means something for so long if guys aren't having success but you could see uh just from his reaction over zoom you could really see that he um you know feels that that does mean uh something to be a celtic and that that to me you know still speaks volumes about the franchise and about the kind of player and guy jason tatum is that's a welcome welcome that's music to celtics fans ears <laughs> all around um <laughs> one bonus question uh, for the for the road keith um in your in your heart of hearts what do you expect what do you predict the celtics will do at the deadline I think they're going to do something, and I think it's going to come with a guy who's under contract for multiple years. I think Danny Ainge is starting to feel a little bit of pressure of, uh, you know, we, we got to do something, not necessarily from ownership, but just in general of, you know, we're, we're now, what are we, 13 years out from the last championship, um, which seems absolutely crazy because it feels like in right. a lot of ways that was just yesterday to me, um, but I'm old, so that's that's why. <laughs> um, but, but I really do feel like um, he's going to do something. Um, I don't know that he's going to use the entirety of the trade exception. I don't know that it's going to be something where, you know, we, we have to then reconvene because it's like, oh, my 
gosh, they went and got this guy, and now they're you know right there with the Lakers and Nets and Clippers and Bucks you know title favorites and all this other stuff. But but I do think you are going to see him do something to improve this roster uh, because I think it's been too many years of not doing enough. Where I think it is um, in a lot of ways, it's because they they've underachieved record wise, but they're still right there. And nobody feels like they're, there's no Warriors that feels inevitable. And I think that's going to spur Danny Ainge to say, hey, why not us? You know, if I can really bolster this this rotation, get these guys what they need, why not us that can be in the mix uh, to win a championship? And I think that's going to be what pushes them to make a move. All right. that's Thank you, Keith. We know we need to let you go. Really appreciate you having on the podcast. I appreciate it, guys. Thank you so much. All the best to you and yours. Y'all stay safe. You too. Thank you too, Keith. All right, Keith Smith, great as always. You guys heard fireworks. I heard him say fireworks at the deadline. You heard him say that, right? <laughs> Aggregate that. Aggregate it. Keith Smith says fireworks. <laughs> We're going to get that guy that put the Celtics on the level with the Lakers. But I, I just want to react to, to Keith's yeah, stuff. Yeah, I was about uh, to ask you what your, what your reactions were. I mean, I, I like the way he's thinking around the trade deadline. I, I, I actually don't expect Danny to do anything or anything major like that. Um, I love the Harrison Barnes piece. I, I don't think that we're, we will have to give up a ton of assets in order to get him. I do with John Collins. And if we had had Keith for longer, I would have asked what he would have. Uh, he assumes that we'd have to give up for Collins because I think it's going to be a lot. And then we have to pay him uh, probably the max. And that is going to cause cap implications. So I'm really curious about Keith's thoughts on that. Because if you have John Collins that me, and Kemba and Tatum and Brown, I don't think you can keep smart. So um, just would be really interested in his thoughts on that. And, and just generally his expectations of, of this year. I mean, if this team goes on a winning streak, they basically are what he thought they were going to be. If, they, if this team wins another four games now, I, I have to imagine that he's going to look differently at, at them. So the line is so thin between success and failure, especially this year, um, that it's, it's just weird. It's just an odd year. Mike. Yeah, as as Wyclef John used to say, anything can happen. This is the season where what what say what say what anything can happen. Yeah, my my reaction, uh, I loved it. You know, Keith said basically everything I've been saying, so it was great. <laughs> no, more seriously, um, I you know I'm hope I'm hopeful we do the the Celtics actually make a move. One of the things that for whatever reason when Keith was talking about. You know, we we had talked about the TPE and how to use it effectively. Uh, we've talked about it many times, but I think one of the earlier times we talked about it, I was saying that I thought it would be totally reasonable to use it um, on an expiring contract. And I, I stand by that for the right, right person because you don't have to give up much else uh, to do it. But um, when Keith was talking about using it to go after someone on a multi-year deal, uh, it popped into my head and for whatever reason hadn't popped into my head before the the prospect of using it on someone that could be then moved at a future point in a possible deal for someone like Bradley Beal. So mm-hmm. like the value of getting, whether that's a Barnes or even if it's a Collins, like say we get Collins, give up a fair amount, but then can use him in a sign and trade to go after Beal or something like that. Like it, it to me underscores the importance of, getting um using it and getting a person and maybe paying a little more again uh, i think we've talked about this before paying a little more than danny might other you know historically have been inclined to pay to get one of these players um so i you know i do think 
I do think it's really important the Celtics make a move at the deadline. I think the roster clearly has one to two holes uh, that could be filled, and there are players out there that can fill it. Um, I thought Keith made really good points about kind of the competitive landscape of the trade market and where the Celtics sit in that landscape now versus in the offseason. Um, so I really hope Danny makes a move that, that Keith is predicting. Well, Tatum and Brown played well in the All-Star game. Tatum did well in the three-point contest. They looked, they looked, they didn't look as exhausted as they have recently. Next games, we're playing at Brooklyn on Thursday on TNT, at Houston on Sunday. Josh, uh, final thought here, positive thought. Yeah, the positive thought of the day is a year ago, Jason Tatum was honored with his first All-Star game appearance. He took a huge leap after that. He he. He got a visually, he, you could see he got a confidence boost from it. Um, this year was his first year on the court when the game starts as a starter in the All-Star game. Uh, and we might see a, a little bit of a boost. I don't think he's going to take the same kind of a leap. But I wonder what this does to his confidence yet again, you know, if he's going to now ramp it up even more. He, I don't think he's had the best year, you know, based on what we've seen from him in the last 12 to 16 months. You know, and so I wonder if he's going to really take it up another level, you know, in terms of his confidence and in terms of belonging and being the best player on the court each night. That's it. Thanks again for listening. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe and follow us on Twitter at Celtics Pride Pod. Uh, we got Mike Minkoff at, at Mike Minkoff NBA and Coach Mo Tanko over here. See ya. <laughs>